My name is Tim Cavanaugh, and uh, I'm uh, just so excited to have an opportunity to continue our series that Greg started last Sunday. Uh, Greg and Brad have chosen the book of Acts for the summer uh, time uh, study, and uh, every Sunday this a summer, we'll be taking a look at one of the themes that one of the speakers will pull out from the book of Acts. Uh, today, my theme will be uh, the Holy Spirit. But you know, today's pretty exciting day. Not only, uh, of course, Anna and Zach getting married, as Greg mentioned. Uh, Julie just got a picture, uh, texted to her, uh, from uh, Gretchen and um, Zach Lamb. And they have a brand new baby this week as well. So there's a lot going on here at the firehouse. So uh, that's that's really exciting. Uh, but it is a, a joy to be here with you guys. And, uh, you know, uh, I want to, of course, uh, introduce my mom. Uh, Katie came in, my daughter Kate, this morning and said, Dad, you must be speaking. And I said, yeah, how do you know? Well, Grandma's here. Uh, so uh, that's good, you know. I always... T- I told mom last night, hey, I'll be by to pick you up if I have t- time enough to prepare for my message. Uh, if I don't, uh, I won't be picking you up. Uh, so uh, anyway, I don't want to lose my best fan out there. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, when we were kids, uh, we religiously prayed a prayer every day, whether it was breakfast and we called it dinner or supper. Uh, but it was the same prayer. I think we inherited this prayer from my dad's side of the family. It went something like this. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Bless us, O Lord, in these I gifts which you are about to receive from thy body through Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, we actually could say that faster. Bless us, O Lord, in these I gifts which you are about to receive from thy body through Christ, our Lord. Amen. And depending on how hungry you were is about how fast you would pray that prayer. And uh, there's another one that we prayed, we reserved for when we were really, really super duper hungry. And that was in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, the one who eats the fastest gets the most. Uh, that was another one of our prayers. Uh, actually, I'm just joking on that one. But they're very simple little prayers, aren't they? Uh, and yet, they do have a pretty serious, profound theological lesson in them. Uh, they both address the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, we're one of the monotheistic religions like uh, Judaism or like Islam. Christianity is monotheistic. But Christianity is unique in that our concept of our one God is that he's one and yet exists in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have the Great Commission where we're said, uh, told, go therefore make disciples of all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's many verses in the Bible that speak of these three persons. And so there's a distinction and yet there's a oneness that's really hard for us to understand. I can kind of get my hands around God being a father. You know, maybe I think of, you know, I have a father. I am a father. It's just a little more tangible. I can kind of get my hands around even Jesus the son. I'm a son. I have three sons. Uh, You know, so I can kind of make that a little more tangible in my thinking. But sometimes when I go to the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, my mind, and this goes to show how, you know, know, how I was in the back of the line when the minds were handed out, I guess. But my mind goes to a little cartoon I saw when I was a kid, Casper the Friendly Ghost. And how he went through walls and doors. But he wouldn't scare folks because he was a friendly ghost. But for some reason it's just harder to get my hands around the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. 
And indeed, uh, the book of Acts in the New Testament is one of those books where we learn more about the Holy Spirit than probably in any other book of the Bible. I counted 69 verses on the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And I categorized all those verses into categories. That's on your handout. You'll see the different categories where verses are um, filed to give us some general sense, a better sense of the Holy Spirit. But today I want to focus in on the Holy Spirit. And we'll open in a word of prayer here. And then we'll start in the Old Testament and kind of give an overview of just who the Holy Spirit really is and... uh, Let's pray and ask God to guide us as we pursue that effort. Lord, thank you for this day, the opportunity to be together and to pray together, worship together. I was so encouraged just singing those songs uh, as we were worshiping together and uh, just being together, meeting folks and the love you to have your Holy Spirit in in them, dwelling them. Lord, uh, truly... Uh, we best understand your spirit as we as we join together as uh, as brothers and sisters who share your spirit with one another. Lord, guide us today, lead us as we study your word. Uh, help us to be humble people that want to obey what we read. Guide us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first verse that we are uh, introduced to the Holy Spirit is almost the very first verse of the Bible. It's actually the second verse. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, we read, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form, it was void, darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What does that mean? I'm not totally sure, but there does seem to be a link between the creation of this universe and the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. We really don't know a lot about the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament. What we mainly see is more of an emphasis on the Father and the different names that describe God the Father. Jehovah or Elohim are a couple names. Sometimes we'll read a lot of verses about the Son or the Messiah that is to come in the future. But we don't see as many verses, there are some, but not as many verses about the Holy Spirit. It's almost like in the Old Testament, God is front and center. During Jesus' life on earth, the Son is front and center. But after Jesus ascends to heaven, as we'll see here in our study of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit becomes front and center. It's like they're kind of doing, you know, those... uh, what are they, Luce Libra, you know, wrestling things. They, you know, kind of tag one another and kind of come in on the stage. But in the Old Testament, you might read in a verse like First Samuel, how the Holy Spirit came upon David when he was appointed by Samuel as the king of Israel. Or you might see where in Psalm 51, after David's grievous sin of killing Bathsheba's husband, committing adultery with Bathsheba, But how later, confronted by Nathan, a year later, in repentance, David prays Psalm 51. And in that prayer, Psalm 51, 11, David prays, please, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. 
And we'll see that in the Old Testament there are at least three things true about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming upon people was very rare. It really didn't happen very often. We know what happened with Samson when he picked up a jawbone of an ass and killed a thousand enemy soldiers with it. He was filled with God's spirit in that, uh, what we might think is an act of war against the enemies of Israel. We see it with David, as I mentioned, being appointed the king of Israel. We saw it with Saul when he was also the king of Israel, but the spirit of God left Saul, it says. And so it's very rare that we see the Holy Spirit coming upon people in the Old Testament. And it's very temporary and not necessarily for an indefinite period of time that the Holy Spirit would come upon people. And it was usually people of rank, you know, like a king or a prophet. The Spirit would come upon these people of, of rank, I guess you would say. And... Um, And we'll see that that's held true throughout really the Old Testament era. But there was going to be a change in the Holy Spirit's involvement. And of course, um, that change was going to come into the New Testament times. The book of Acts basically teaches about this change that's about to happen. The first person to predict the change is Joel. He's a prophet, one of the minor prophets that comes toward the end of of the Old Testament. But in Joel chapter 2, 28, Joel gives this prophetic prediction of what's going to happen sometime in the future. And he says, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. And upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. So this day is coming when it won't be people of rank. It'll be maid servants and slaves. It could be, could be kings. It could be prophets as well. But it could be anybody. Sons, daughters, men, women. This day, this great and glorious day that that spirit that hover over the waters of the deep, that spirit will be poured into the bodies of human beings. Uh, and just all people of faith will receive this spirit. Joel's not the only one to predict this great change of the Holy Spirit's involvement on planet Earth. John the Baptist did also. Getting very close to when this uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit would occur. He wrote, uh, Mark wrote in one eight, I have baptized you with water, but he, Jesus, John the Baptist said, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now that hadn't happened yet. John was baptizing with water. Jesus would eventually at some point baptize even in the Holy Spirit. And that word baptize means placed into. You could baptize your dishes into a pan of dishwater. But uh, in this case, a person, the Holy Spirit himself, uh, would be linked with you as a human being. And you'd be baptized into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would be, in a sense, baptized into you. And that day, too, would be coming. And this is John the Baptist. But Jesus also, in Acts chapter 1... Uh, gave a prophecy or prediction that this great day was going to come that Joel spoke of, that John the Baptist spoke of, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon all mankind. For John baptized with water, 
But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, not many days from now. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is in verse 8. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And so this is Jesus now right before he ascended into heaven. Now, if you recall, when Jesus was crucified, he was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. You know, when he rose from the dead, he didn't immediately go into heaven. He didn't immediately ascend to the heaven. He remained on earth for 40 days. And it was during those 40 days that he spoke and taught. And really, the only message we know that he gave that's recorded in Scripture are the Great Commission verses, all five of them. But it was during those 40 days. And then when those 40 days were up, Jesus ascended into heaven. And just before ascending into heaven, this is the promise he gives, that the Holy Spirit will come. During his time on earth, he told his disciples, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to come as well once I leave. But it was like the Holy Spirit couldn't leave heaven until Jesus ascended. And so Jesus, about to ascend into heaven, told them, you wait in Jerusalem. And they waited 10 days. Now, in that upper room, if you add 10 and 40, what do you get? 50. And 50 is where we get the term Pentecost. 50 days. And it was 50 days from Jesus' resurrection to when this great day that Joel predicted, when the Holy Spirit would be poured out on mankind, occurred. 50 days. And that's the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus said again, wait for this spirit. It's kind of like, you know, don't try this at home kind of thing. Uh, Wait until the Holy Spirit comes and then you can be my witnesses. But one thing you'll see over and over again, the link between witnessing and the Holy Spirit. Well, that Holy Spirit, he wants to witness He wants you to be witnessing and sharing your faith. He's prompting that, moving in that direction. He's got love for lost people. And uh, again, he's a person just like the father is a person. He's not uh, like an ethereal, ethereal ghost, but just like the son's a person. The Holy Spirit is a person with feelings and emotions and desires and wants. and, and, And he wants people reach for Christ. And so they waited for those 10 days. And then in Acts chapter 2, and I'll read this passage, but in Acts chapter 2, the big day came. The day of Pentecost, that 50 days after Jesus rose, ascended into heaven. Or I'm sorry, rose from the dead 50 days later, 10 days after he rose from heaven, the day of Pentecost, the day that Joel predicted occurred. And we can read it here in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, seven weeks after Jesus' resurrection, the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm in the skies above them. And it filled the house where they were meeting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And we know there were 120 people in this upper room. They were all Jews. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this was the first time in human history that 
people were filled with the Holy Spirit. 120 of them. It wasn't rare. There was a lot. There's going to be a lot more. It wasn't temporary. It was permanent. And it wasn't of rank. It was just fishermen and normal men and women that were meeting up there, followers of Jesus in that upper room. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began speaking in other languages. As the Holy Spirit gave them an ability to speak. So it's interesting. The Holy Spirit is a giver of gifts. He gave them this ability to speak in other foreign languages. And we'll see why in a little bit. Godly Jews from many nations were living in Jerusalem at this time. Many of them even came for Passover, which was just, you know, 10 days earlier. Or 40 days earlier, but probably many of them just lived there. Godly Jews from the nations were living in Jerusalem. And when they heard this sound, and Jerusalem's a fairly big town even back then. This was like an explosion. People were coming in from around the town of Jerusalem to this place where this occurred. They came running, in fact, to see what it was all about. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers, by those 120 people. They were beside themselves with wonder. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all Galileans. And yet we hear them speaking languages of the lands where we were born. And it even lists the languages. Okay, one of the languages, Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, those are regions in in Turkey today, or Asia Minor then, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya towards Cyrene, visitors from Rome, uh, Latin, uh, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, Arabic was one of the languages that was being spoken. We all hear these people speaking in these languages, in our own languages, about the wonderful things that God has done. They stood there amazed. They were perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd were mocking, saying they're drunk. Well, Peter stood up. And he stepped forward, knowing what the crowd, some in the crowd were saying, that they were drunk. And with the 11 other apostles, um, and he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews, and these were all Jews, this was a Jewish group, and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. Some of you are saying, these people are drunk. It isn't true. It's much too early for that. It was a little later, maybe, but not now. Nine o'clock in the morning. People don't get drunk by nine in the morning. No, what you're seeing this morning was predicted by Joel. We saw that prediction, Joel 2.28, verse 17 of chapter 2. In the last days, Peter went on to say, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit upon all my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood, fire, clouds of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. You know, just 50 days earlier, that's what happened when Jesus hung on the cross. And the moon will be turned to blood. Blood red, before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives, and anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is 
Peter's speaking to this crowd of Jewish people. And we know from his speech that this day, the day of Pentecost, was the day that Joel predicted. This was the day that the Holy Spirit would, for the first time in human history, be poured out upon all mankind. And so it was an incredible day. But this, this pouring out of God's Holy Spirit was just the first of four waves of the Spirit being poured out. Joel's prediction was going to be fulfilled over a period of 30 years, which is how long Acts lasted. Not even a full 30. It was in that 30-year period, though, four waves of God's outpouring of the Spirit occurred. The first wave was to the Jews and some Jewish converts. That first wave was only upon God's people, the Jews. And that was in Acts chapter 2. But there were three other subsequent waves. One was in Acts chapter 8. And I'll jump there briefly for us. In Acts chapter 8, we'll see the second outpouring of God's Holy Spirit as predicted by Joel. And first occurred on the day of Pentecost with the Jews. In Acts 8, it was the Samaritans. They lived in Samaria. We call Samaria by a different name. We call it the West Bank. You've probably heard of that. That's Samaria. That's where um, this occurred. When the apostles back in Jerusalem heard the people of the West Bank or Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. These were leaders of the church, Jewish leaders from Jerusalem. And as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new Christians to receive the Holy Spirit. They had placed their trust in Christ, but they had not received the Holy Spirit yet. The Holy Spirit had not come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John laid their hands on these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given when the apostles placed their hands on the people, well, it continues on with this man, Simon. But the point is, at this juncture, the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. They were half Jews and half um, probably Assyrians, but some other group of people. Because when the Assyrians conquered Jerusalem hundreds of years earlier, Many of those Jews were taken out of Israel and the people were replaced with people from other parts of the Assyrian Empire. And there became a mixture, really religiously and really ethnically, a mixture of Jew and non-Jew and Gentile. They were kind of half-breeds, you might say, the Samaritans, half-Jew and then half-Gentile. And uh, the religion was even kind of a different form of the, the Jewish religion, but similar But you see, back then, it's hard for us today to understand this great divide between Sumerian, Gentile, and Jew. But it was huge. You know, when people wanted to walk from Jerusalem to northern uh, Israel, and my mom took me to Israel once. And uh, I mean, I can visualize this quite clearly, uh, having even been there. But, you know, as as they went up, they, they couldn't go through Samaria because that would be like unclean. They'd actually walk around the West Bank. And then continue the journey. It would take them way out of their way. They wouldn't walk through there. If a Gentile, a Jew happened to touch a Gentile, they would wash themselves. You know, Orthodox Jews in those days. In fact, the divide between Gentile and Jew was so great, even Peter fell into this, uh, this racism. 
And he did it long after Jesus ascended into heaven, long after he was doing his ministry. In Galatians, we read the story. Paul tells the story of how he had to confront Peter face to face publicly for not being willing to eat with Gentiles when the Jewish leaders came from Jerusalem. And he went on to say even Barnabas, the great Barnabas, fell into this racism along with Peter. And Paul had to confront them both. Again, it's just hard for us to understand this great divide. The Holy Spirit wanted to use tongues, wanted to use this outpouring of the Holy Spirit to unite the church as one. Not whether it be a Jewish church and a Gentile church and a Samaritan church. He poured out first upon the Jews and then he let those leaders go to Samaria, witness that they too came to accept Christ and they witnessed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon them when they laid their hands. That laying on of hands linked the two ethnic groups together and they began to see these people speak in tongues just as they did in Acts chapter 2. And the church was one. Because they saw that the Samaritans' experience and the Jews' experience was really the same. And it goes on then in the next outpouring. And the next outpouring was among the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And this is with Cornelius, who was a Roman soldier. In verse 44, and as Peter was preaching about the gospel and Jesus being the Savior of mankind, saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who was hearing his message including Cornelius, the Roman centurion. And the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. You know, the Jews didn't even think Gentiles could be saved. And there could be no doubt about it, for they heard them speaking in tongues, in foreign languages, just like we saw in Acts 2, and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. And then they had to give an account to the Jewish leaders that didn't show up back in Jerusalem. And Peter defended what had occurred to the leaders in Jerusalem later in chapter 11. So it's kind of an amazing thing how the Holy Spirit then poured out in these three waves. There was one final minor wave in Acts 19 among Old Testament Jewish believers who lived in Ephesus. There was only 12 of them, but they were Jewish leaders or uh, followers of Jesus. And I'll read this portion as well. And while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior provinces and came to Ephesus where he found several believers. And he asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, well, we don't even know what you mean. What do you mean the Holy Spirit? They were confused about what the Holy Spirit was. And then what baptism did you experience? He asked. And they said, well, we were baptized into John the Baptist baptism. And Paul said, well, John's baptism was to demonstrate a desire to turn from sin and turn to God. That's kind of what it represented, that desire. John himself told the people to believe in Jesus, the one John said would come later. And as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. And there were 12 men in all. 
And it was almost like there's going to be one final throwback. Here's some Old Testament believers living in New Testament times, Jews, that had yet to accept Christ, had yet to be filled with the Spirit. But it teaches, really, was a public profession of the fact that it's not good enough to be an Old Testament believer anymore. You need Jesus. And you too need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's a big difference now between the Old Testament folks and the New Testament folks. Some of these people, the book of Acts, straddled both eras, new and old. In fact, Acts is really a transition from old to new. It's a 30-year transitory period of time where we shifted from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And the biggest distinction there is the is the Holy Spirit being poured out in the, into people's lives. And that was done in four separate waves. And so um, what we see in the book of Acts, and I've had people look at different verses that we've just looked at, and we'll use those to say that, you know, this, these are prescriptions for how we need to live. Uh, when in fact, whoops, in fact, they might not be a prescription. It may just simply be a description of what was happening in those very unique transitory periods of time. When I was a young, when I became a Christian, which I though grew up in a wonderful home that uh, really gave me a fear of the Lord, but I, I really came to understand, I would say, that Jesus died for my sin and it's through his death that I have eternal life. When I was a freshman in college, I went back to visit home and mom would remember Mr. Brown that was an administrator at the Lorville School. And I had heard that he was a Christian and so I wanted to speak with him. And Mr. Brown uh, had a different view on some of these things that I'm speaking about today. And he said, Tim, you're going, well, you're going to want to receive the Holy Spirit and I'll, I'll put my hands on you because that's what was done in the book of Acts. I'll put my hands on you and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And it'll be like you get in the, the elevator of the Empire State Building and being shot up to like floor 80. And uh, you can take the next 20 floors on your own, you know, the rest of your life. Otherwise, without me doing this, you're not going to receive that power of the Holy Spirit. And you'll be on ground floor and you're just going to have to take the steps, you know, all the way up to the top of the Empire State Building there. But it didn't make sense to me. And he was confusing something that was really descriptive and making it prescriptive. Remember the laying on of the hands was done by the Jewish leaders. First of the Samaritans, then of the Gentiles, then of the twelve in Ephesus. And that was to link the church. It was to unite all those people under one leadership, the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, and to link the Jewish leadership with all those people. And they all spoke in tongues in the same way, these foreign languages, German and whatever other language. And it was to unite the church. But that was just during this transitory period of time. Ephesians 1.13 is now the prescriptive way that people generally receive the Holy Spirit. And now you also, these are the Ephesians, you've heard the truth, the good news that God saves you, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago, Joel 2.28. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us everything he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. This verse says, when you hear the gospel, when you believe the gospel, 
you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that's what's normative today. That's what's prescriptive today. But in that transitory period of the book of Acts, some people had their hands laid on them, some didn't. But it was interesting. Mr. Brown, who I respected greatly, he just didn't understand, in my view, you know, the theology of this, that that was a, a, a descriptive time, a transitory time with unique purposes. And those purposes were past. And then when the gospel continued in Paul's missionary journeys to being advanced, Ephesians 1.13 became the norm. So if I heard the gospel, and I told Mr. Brown this, well, Mr. Brown, I've heard the gospel. I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. Ephesians 1.13 tells me that I am filled with the Holy Spirit. He felt I needed more of the Holy Spirit. To him, the Holy Spirit was like a power. You can get, you know, 10% of it or 30% of it or 60%. I might have had 10. He wanted to give me another 50%. But to, to me, the Holy Spirit was a person. Just like Jesus is a person. The Father is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Again, with will and emotion. He's not like a ghost even. It's uh, one of the three of the Godhead in the Christian faith. And so uh, we will see then that, that these gifts that the Holy Spirit gave, you know, God verified the message from the apostles by signs and wonders, various miracles, the giving of gifts of the Holy Spirit, which included tongues, whenever he chose to do so. But it was to verify the message, which was kind of new. Hey, Jesus is this Messiah we've been waiting for, according to Hebrews 2.4. And in Acts 1.8, we're jumping back to this verse because that one verse lays out the outline for the whole book of Acts. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and will tell people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, that's kind of the first concentric circle, throughout Judea and Samaria, this next concentric circle further out, and then to the ends of the earth. And we see this in the outline of Acts. We'll look at what happened in Jerusalem. There's 19 verses on the Holy Spirit in that first third of the book of Acts. In the second third of the book of Acts, there's, uh, well, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, and then Palestine, Syria, 15 and then 12 verses on the Holy Spirit. And then we go into the third, you know, to the outermost. We'll see in Paul's first missionary journey, nine verses Related to the Holy Spirit. His second journey, four, third, nine. And then on his final journey to Rome where he's beheaded by Nero. There is one verse on the Holy Spirit. It seems like the activity of the Holy Spirit diminished as time went on. And it's not to say that people can't speak in tongues today or be healed or gifts of miracles. I believe those gifts exist today. But I do believe that there would be uh, purposes that God would have for giving those gifts to people. And so the Holy Spirit is a person who really now in these days, we call it the church age, which started on the day of Pentecost. And it will conclude uh, on the rapture when all of God's people will be raptured into heaven. All the people that have the Holy Spirit in them. That concludes. Those are the two bookends of the age we are now in, the church age. But I just wanted then to highlight these final points on the Holy Spirit. We'll see then during the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit instigated action. 
Yes, we call it the Acts of the Apostles, but it was the Holy Spirit that was behind much of what we see. Could be Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit gave orders to the Apostles. In Acts 13, for example, on the very first missionary journey, it says this. Among the prophets and teachers at the church in Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manian, who was a childhood friend of King Herod Antipas, and Saul, or Paul. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for a special work that I have for them. Barnabas and Saul went on the first missionary journey. Why? Because the Holy Spirit led them to. And he enabled people to witness powerfully. He appointed men as elders, affected people's character, snatched Philip away and took him to Azotus to witness to people there at Ethiopian Uni. He helped people come to the Lord. He granted wonders and signs. He sent the disciples out, as we just read, on their first missionary journey. But he moves within people to act and to do things. The Holy Spirit was involved in various kinds of communication. Uh, He spoke through people and to people in visions and dreams, impressions. And he gave people the ability to speak in these foreign languages. And to speak boldly. When Jesus was sharing with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus... They reflected on that encounter with Jesus later and they said, boy, were not our hearts burning within us? See, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that spirit, you know, Jesus just articulated this truth. Ryan was saying, a man that he, Tom Short, a ministry he's involved with, how uh, Tom prays his prayer every day that he, his words, his words would be like the words of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to just help the hearers' hearts burn within them. Boy, what a prayer we should be praying in our everyday lives. God, use me this day. Let your Holy Spirit allow me to just speak words that burn into the hearts of people. Because that Holy Spirit wants that. He wants you to influence people for God. And then he impressed with Paul. That night, Paul was arrested and in the Philippines jail. And at midnight, he was impressed to pray. And then he was impressed to sing. And Paul began to sing. And what happened? The jailer got saved. But that was the Holy Spirit working in all of those settings and situations. The Holy Spirit moved within people. Uh, The Holy Spirit was desired you know, I, I watched this show 2020 just a little bit last night. And in that show, there's a woman that was completely crippled. She was an adventure jogger. She fell and she severed her spine just right in half. And so whenever she tried to crawl on the ground, her, the, you know, one half of her body would want to move, but the other half couldn't, wasn't linked with the front half to move. She was there for three days. One of the police officers just went to her home and he was just trying to, he said, I'm just going to compose myself. And he said, in my mind, I knew exactly where her truck was. And he drove right to it. I believe that somehow God was involved in that. A good friend of mine, Juan Maldonado, who was uh, even chief of police at Denver for one day. That's the story of itself. But he was division chief for many years here in Denver. He was on patrol down here in Globeville once years ago. And he was just driving around on patrol, you know. He said one thing about being a police officer, uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, just 
eons of boredom accentuated with moments of utter horror. I think that's how he described police work. But he was just driving around this neighborhood and he had this impression. I need to pull over and check into this house. He went to that house. He knocked on the door. He entered in. A woman was being raped as he entered into that house. I believe God was behind that. I believe the Holy Spirit was behind that. And the Holy Spirit affects groups and individuals. The Spirit comforts people. And the Holy Spirit will come upon people. You can read these. The Holy Spirit is sometimes abused. It says that don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you're sealed. You'll still be sealed. But we can choose to disobey. And we'll grieve God's, God's Spirit within us. The Holy Spirit reveals things to people. And so those are just a few thoughts on the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I think the take home for me is, boy, I just want to wake up every day. And sometimes I think, okay, am I going to read my word? Am I going to pray? But boy, am I just going to practice the presence of God's Holy Spirit in my life and, and just beseech the, the Spirit to fill me that day and totally empower me with what His will is for my life? It might, be I, it might I be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit just moment by moment in the course of my life? And He'll lead me, He'll lead us, I think, to people who need Christ. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is really thinking about and what's on his heart in these days. Let's pray and ask God to continue to lead and guide us. Thank you for your time. And uh, boy, just uh, may God continue to bless you all. Lord, thank you so much for this time together. And Father, we just commit our lives to you. There's so little we know. And yet uh, you just want us to desire and to come to you as children. Lord, we come to you today. Father, fill us with your spirit. If there's any here today that don't know you as their savior, Lord, I just pray they would come to that point today where they realize Jesus, who split history in half, is 2016 because of him. Lord, he is your provision for the sins of the world. Jesus died on the cross to pay the death penalty sin demands. And by accepting him as our savior, his death becomes ours he died for us he died as us and lord we want to embrace your provision for our sin so that we might be with you for eternity and in these days lord fill us with your spirit and guide us as the spirit guided patriarchs and matriarchs of old in advancing your kingdom here on this earth as we read through the book of acts And thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.